Well, good morning again. And that was awesome. You guys, just like, I love it when the greeting time is like loud and it fills the room. It's very cool. Um, and special thanks. Make sure to, to, if you have kids today, extra thanks to those that are watching your kids. They, they work hard and we're thankful for them. Um, and, if, you know, if you don't have kids or your kids are adults, you know, let them know like, hey, you'll make it. You're doing good. Give them some encouragement there. Um, <laughs> So good morning, church. I hope you're doing well. Um, it's, it's good to see you, those of you that are here. Um, and I know some of you might have been online, uh, even though I can't see you. I'm sure you're looking great as well. Um, first off, how about the Mariners, right? Right? Yes. I, I, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not a big baseball fan, but I've, I've lived in the area long enough. I've gone to enough Mariners games. They're like, I'm, I'm kind of getting caught up in like the excitement. So it's, uh, it's good. Uh, for those of you who haven't met me, um, as Elizabeth mentioned, I'm Brian Kent. Uh, my family and I attend here at CTK. My wife, uh, she does work here. She's the campus director, and we're just thankful we get a chance to be a part of this amazing community. Um, I'm really excited to be joining you today, chance to share the word with you. Um, Tyler's out of town. He's doing some pretty cool um, stuff in relation to schooling and, and just learning more about the word, so I'm, I'm so thankful that he asked me to be here. And we're going to be continuing continuing our time going through the gospel of Mark. We'll be picking up in chapter 12, and I'm going to mix it up a little bit today. Um, I'm, I'm going to just jump like right into scripture, so I know sometimes I'll like tell a story or, or try to make a, a joke or, or say something awkward and at my own expense, but we're going to just, we're going to just jump right in today, if that's cool. That's cool? That's all right? All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, man. Donnie. <laughs> We'll talk afterwards. I'll, I'll give you some fresh jokes and stories. So, so where we are, um, where we are in Mark right now, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem with his followers. Uh, the Passover festival is approaching, and this is the beginning of the week preceding his death on the cross. So Jesus has, um, he's given his disciples a, a bit of a hint pretty obvious hint that something is going to happen, um, but really only Jesus is aware of what is actually coming. In today's scripture, I'm going to take two sections off chapter 11, and we're going to grab one from Matthew that we'll be looking at, and we're going to be looking at two different groups of people and what their expectations are of what Jesus is all about during these days leading to his death, what he's trying to do, what his purpose is, what's going to happen. We'll see the disciples We'll see a crowd that's welcoming Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem from Bethpage and Bethany. We'll see um, a variety of people who are in the temple and, and, and the Pharisees. And of course, we're going to see Jesus. So I, th I think I've got them all listed up there, disciples and, and welcoming crowd, the temple attendees. And, um, and I'm sure there's more, but, but we're just going to kind of break them down into that for today, okay? Our first passage comes from Matthew, um, as we see the disciples hearing from Jesus what is to come. And this is, this is a little bit before, but, but it's going to give us context into what the disciples might be thinking. So Matthew 17 says, as they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, and this is Jesus gathering with his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up. And they were deeply distressed. And then that's the second time he says that. And then he says it once again in Matthew 20. He says, well, going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Now, I include the, the chapter 17 and chapter 20, even though chapter 17 is a little bit before, because I, I like that it gives a little bit of light into the feelings of the disciples. You read chapter 20, and he says all that, and it doesn't say anything about what the disciples think. It's like, yeah, he said that, and, you know. Uh, but chapter 17, you know, lets us know they're, they're human. They, they, it says they felt deeply distressed. But if we remember, though, last week, Tyler talked about how after one of those statements was made, some of the disciples went to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, are we going to get a favored place in heaven? Can we, we be at your right hand? So whether they're distressed or curious or, or there's even excitement, we know that the disciples, even though they've got a little bit of a hint, they're still not quite fully aware of what's going to happen next. There's still some wonder in what's meant for Jesus and what's meant for themselves that's upcoming. But through all this, Jesus knew. And he loved his disciples so much. He knew that they didn't understand. But most importantly, he knew what was to come, and he kept going. Our next group are those that welcome Jesus on the road as he neared Jerusalem. We read Mark 11. It says, many people, and Jesus is entering the town here on a donkey. And it says, many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, it's not totally clear exactly who all these people were, but it's believed by what is referenced here that, that many in this group of Jewish people were likely welcoming Jesus as the, as they said, the coming kingdom of our father David, because they believed that, that he had some social or, or maybe political or military leadership or, or, or motivations that, that were going on. So they were coming in and, and, and they, were, they were likely expecting an, an earthly rule. And, and uh, maybe they were hoping he was going to free them from Roman oppression. Maybe they, they were just hoping he was going to come and, and fix some problems or, or just keep doing miracles. Um, but, but they were hoping for some more earthly kingdom changes. And this is seen consistently throughout Scripture. People getting Jesus' purpose on earth wrong and maybe mistaking it for a political or social or, or, or even a military one. It, it wasn't uncommon. But again, Jesus knew why he was here. He knew his purpose was bigger than they could understand. The next group, and we'll bunch these two together, is, is everyone that was in the temple, the, the temple attendees and, and the Pharisees. And they came to Jerusalem, sorry, Mark 11 here again. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, it is, not is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Now, of all of them, I will say that was probably the most unexpected one, right? I'm pretty sure everyone in that temple was like, oh, Jesus is here. He's going to talk. He's going to do some stuff. And then he came. He's flipping tables. Things are a little different. So I think the word astonished um, is pretty good. 
pretty good way to explain that. But I think it could mean a lot of things, right? Astonished, astonished could mean a lot of things. It could mean that, that maybe they were overjoyed. They were excited. We've been waiting. He's coming. He's doing exactly what we wanted. Or maybe they were offended. Hey, they, we've been running things this way for a long time. It's going really good. Or, or maybe they were curious or ecstatic. Maybe they were totally bought in or totally opposed. But regardless of what it means, we know that it means that Jesus was once again doing something that they didn't expect. He wasn't doing what was expected. From overturning tables to the teaching that followed, both of those were astonishing. He was blowing minds. And as we see, the Pharisees are expecting that this will disrupt the way that they want things to be. Right? But they, they've got an expectation of, of, of how they'd like Jesus to be, and he never seems to match that, and they probably have an expectation of how they're hoping he'll be. I, I think sometimes we see in Scripture the Pharisees are hoping that he'll do something really, really big that they can nail him for. There's constantly this expectation. But again, Jesus keeps moving. For the coming days, Jesus knew what was going to happen, and we're going to see that he continues teaching in the temple. He continues challenging beliefs and opinions from the Pharisees. He eats dinner with his friends. He spends time in private talk with some of his disciples. And through all that, through that whole week, the various expectations that all these people might have had of what Jesus was doing, they might have changed, they might have grown, whatever they were. But for Jesus, they remained steady. He knew all along why he was there and what he was doing and what his purpose was. He knew when it was the moment of the Passover feast, we read that Jesus announced that his betrayal would soon take place. Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, would go to the chief priest and for some silver coins would agree to turn over Jesus for arrest. That arrest would happen and Jesus would be taken away, not fighting back despite being charged unfairly. He's questioned in front of the religious leaders and later Pontius Pilate. He's beaten, he's declared guilty, and eventually by a crowd of his own people, Maybe even some who were in the temple just days before. Maybe even some who were, or who were greeting him on the road. We, we, we don't know. But they would call for his death. And Jesus knew this would happen, and he did not stop him. And shortly after, we're told he, he carried his own cross to his death. A, a device designed to bring slow, painful death for those who hung on it. And he would do just that. Is that cross, that same cross that hung over his shoulder, would be the same one that he would hang from and die just hours later. Jesus did not do what anyone expected. He wasn't there to do what they were expecting, though. He wasn't there to meet their expectations or their agendas. Whether it was, whether it was the, the religious or political um, or social agendas of the Jews, whether it was those who were saying, get us out from, from unfair rule from the Romans, or maybe those who were saying, man, he's performing these miracles. Let's just keep this going. Let's just keep healing everybody. This is a great formula for fixing all our problems. He wasn't there to overthrow the local priest like they maybe thought he was, at least at that time. He wasn't there to, to declare his innocence before Pilate and to tell them, hey, you know, you're right. I don't deserve death. You keep asking. I don't deserve this at all. All the expectations that any and every person that saw Jesus had there were all wrong. None of them got it right. Because you see, I listed a lot of people, but there's only two groups of people in this story those who knew what Jesus was going to do, and those who thought they knew, but didn't. And the dividing line is pretty simple. Jesus knew, and everyone else didn't. Okay, Jesus knew, and everyone else. There's a line right down the middle. 
what everyone knew was going on. Jesus knew that his death meant more than any other death would. That humbling himself and accepting death, death meant that he, the perfect sacrifice, would be able to take the place of the penalty of our sins. Because he knew there was a bigger purpose than what everyone could have conjured up. That his death would take the place of our guilt so that his innocence could be imparted on us. And praise God that he knew that and that he did not follow what anyone else would have thought. Second Corinthians tells us he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. That is God made the one who did not know sin. Jesus, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How amazing, because Jesus saw that, no, this is so much bigger than right now. This is so much bigger than here and where we are. Jesus took our place. He became sin for us so that we could become righteousness, so that we could be free from all sin. And praise God, he didn't stay in the grave either. He didn't just die, and we're sitting here like, oh, man, we got this, and, and, and I'm, I, that stinks that he's gone. No, three days later, he rose. He broke expectation again. He walked out of the tomb. And not long after that, he ascended into heaven, not to leave forever, but to prepare a place for us, to prepare for us an eternal home with him. See, this story and what Jesus did and what that means for eternity, what that means for us, that is the most important thing that we can know in this life. The disciples would come to learn that. Many of the local Jews and Gentiles would, and, and that, would, that would spread throughout the world. That the God of the universe, creator of all things, sent his son to die so that no matter what reason you might have to not be eligible, that if you will simply believe in him and proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he will impart on you his righteousness because he has already paid the penalty for your wrong. Oh, man. Amen. Yes. Right. And if, if there's anything that we must preach to ourselves then every day, it's that truth. Right? Not just here on Sundays, but, but that truth that Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, came to this earth to die. To die so that every man and every woman would be forgiven of their guilt, the guilt of which our penalty to be paid is death. That's, that's what we're due. We need to tell ourselves every day that we're not due that because of Christ. That guilt that you might feel, man, faith in Christ, it is forgiven. That guilt that you have, faith in Christ, it is forgiven. He died so that we don't have to. And three days later, when he conquered death by being raised, he showed that he would conquer death and that he could conquer it for us. And where is he now? He's, again, he's in heaven. He's preparing a place where we will someday be with him. We will someday be with him in eternal life in his kingdom. That is where our citizenship is as believers. And you might be wondering what I mean by, by preach to ourselves, because I'm going to say it a few times. Um, and, and really what I mean is, is that we must regularly remind ourselves of this truth tell ourselves this truth, that, that we need to be taking in this message, pastoring ourselves, whether that's through, through reading scripture or, or just reminding ourselves through our thoughts, our words, our prayers throughout the day, but that this is something we need to preach to ourselves. Because as believers in Jesus, it is the truth about us that by no work of our own hand, our own Jesus, or our own strategy or planning, that by none of those things, none of those saved us, but that we were given the gift of salvation by grace alone. And that because of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are his. We are no longer lost. We are saved. And that is our identity. Amen. And friends, I want to experience that identity. I, I want to live a life that is defined by Jesus. That is defined by the truth of who I am in Christ and who he calls me to live. So I started off today by putting these two groups apart from each other. Jesus and everyone else 
discussing this idea of expectation and, and kind of proving the obvious that, that only Jesus got it right. I started that way because, I'm going to be honest, oftentimes we are, no, we, are, we are no more unaware about God's purpose and desire in our lives than for those people in that story. And don't get me wrong, we, we know the gospel story, right? We're, we're on the other side of the cross in history, and we're, we're on the other side of, of, of the letters of Scripture being assembled and being there for us in the Word of God. But that doesn't mean that we aren't affected by times and society and groups and, and, and distractions, that we aren't influenced by those things around us. Right? Scripture doesn't tell us, like, Jesus died, and you got the Bible, and now don't worry, you'll never be distracted. It's cool. Your focus is great. It's just locked in. No, I, I, it, it's, it's not that simple. Has anyone ever been invited to a friend's house to, like, watch a sporting event or a TV show that, that you never saw, that you maybe weren't interested? Pretty much everybody. Okay, good. Um, you know, maybe you're new to the sport. Maybe you're new to the, new to the show. You know, I, I, there, was, there was a phenomenon back in 2004 called Lost. And, and, and I know some of you maybe weren't alive. You're like, 2004? Man, but, but, you know, people would invite people, come and see Lost. Come to my house. And, and you'd go and you'd, you'd see the show. Sounds like Marcel might have invited you. A lost-a-thon, but you'd go and 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 whether or not you liked the show, even if you didn't watch it, you were sort of invested. It, it was like getting invited to a sporting event, right? If if you're you're not from the local town, but to come watch the local sporting event, or oh, you you're not from Seattle, but you'll love the Seahawks. Let's check it out. You kind of just Mariners. Mariners. I'm I'm caught up in the Mariners right now. But that I don't choose to watch baseball on my own, but it's exciting right now, and people are exciting. And so, you know, you go and you go to the lost party and, and, and you just, you're there. You can't help but be caught up. You can't help but ask the question of like, yeah, I don't know what's going on either. And I kind of want to know. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how we are in life sometimes. I, I know for me, I learned this really well. And, and, and I'm so glad my parents are here today because I get to tell a story that involves them. Um, you know, when I, was, uh, when I was 19 years old, right before I moved out of my parents' house, American Idol was was pretty new. It was like the second or third season, and and my parents were watching American Idol. I was like, oh, this is cool, and I, and I watched it with them. I remember I watched probably every episode that season from the start, from the Simon Cowell being mean to the people were kind of good at singing, and then all of a sudden it was like, wow, they're really good at singing now, to the finish and the finale, and guys, I was invested. I remember I talked to people about it, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd ask my mom about it, and, and, and it was great. I loved it. It was so great. But the next year, I moved out of my parents' house. A new American Idol came on in my room. Well, let's watch American Idol. I was like, yeah, let's watch American Idol. And, and I never told my parents this, so confession, but man, I realized I didn't like American Idol. <laughs> I, I sat down and I was watching, and I was just like, gosh, I just don't really like this show that much. Be, and, 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 and what I realized is it wasn't that I, I was not enjoying the show when I was watching it with my family, but, but I think a lot of it is I was just enjoying watching a show with my parents, and my, my younger sister was there, and, and I loved it. And, it. and it wasn't a bad show. It was just, you know, not a show that I wanted to watch on my own. And, and, and you know, that same thing would happen to me in other times in life. And, and, and uh, the following ones, you know, I didn't watch with my parents, but, you know, I realized later in life that maybe I didn't like America's Next Top Model or, or Degrassi or the Kardashians. <laughs> Um, but man, I, I'll be honest, there were times in life where I was watching those shows and, and it wasn't until later that I realized I don't like this show. I'm just, 
maybe was trying to impress a girl, who knows, but whew. And thankfully, Jesse wanted me to tell you she doesn't watch any of those shows. Uh, she's, she's not the Kardashian influence in my life. And if you like the Kardashian, I don't know. But, but the point was, is, is, is I look back at these, all these shows that, that I watched that I would have never watched on my own. And, and, and that was okay. And, and, and I get, like, the TV thing. It's, it's kind of light and it's funny. But I say it because we've got to be honest that... Like, we might not all be as free and independent of thinkers as we'd like to believe. Like, there's maybe a tiny chance that maybe some of what you like has been influenced by others. And, and I know some of you here sitting here are like, no, Brian, I'm totally independent. Like, I've never been influenced by anything in my life, and you know what? That's cool. And if that's you today, like, Take a moment and just maybe just try to put yourselves in my shoes. Pretend you could be in, like me. You're like me, and you could be influenced, okay? I know that's a lot to ask. But, but I mean, <laughs> let's get real. A legitimate profession and the dream job of a lot of people today is to be a professional influencer, okay? And if there are professional influencers, there's, there's got to be somebody out there who's being influenced in some way, maybe even willingly saying, like, this is my influencer, and we've all got those in our lives, and maybe they're not all influencers. Some of you might, you know, you might have your, your exercise guru or your makeup magician, but, but some of those other influencers are, are maybe just communities that you're a part of or, or, or your, your friends on social media or the, or, the, or the type of postings that you've liked. And, and you know, um, Mark, is Mark Zuckerberg the Facebook guy, right? Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg has nicely catered all of your memes and posts that you see to, to fit your interests, you know? Or, or maybe it's your group of coworkers or, or your circle of friends, your, your favorite TV shows or news channel or your podcast. There are things that are speaking into your life. And they're influencing you. And, and, and maybe it's just your interests or your hobbies. Maybe it's your ideology or, or your, your moral priorities, your parenting styles, political views. Whatever it is, wherever it's coming from, it's a part of your life. It's a part of what's shaping who you are and how you think. And it's important to be willing to say that if I'm taking this in, if I'm, if I'm digesting this, it's probably influencing me. How you make decisions, what you weigh is important, what you, what you, what you praise and what you condemn, what you support, what you cancel. Who we are is going to be very much defined by what we are looking at. The things that we look at most, the things we listen to most intently, hold closest to us, the things that we, we care about, or, or, or maybe, maybe we, we don't care about it, it's just interesting, and it's how I pass the time. Uh, whatever it is, these are oftentimes our greatest affections. Because you see, what we want from life is not defined simply. What we see as important and live out isn't just something you decided a few years ago and said, hey, this is important to me, it's great, I read it once, and that's great, and that's what matters. And you know what, I've just been knocking out of the park, I don't have to revisit it. Right, it, it, if we wrote something down on a card and we just said, hey, like today is about this, but we left the card at home and we didn't think about it again, let's be honest, if we, our day wouldn't be about that thing, we'd forget about it because we're taking in all these other things. So we've gotta be okay with saying like, hey, the things that are definitely influencing and shaping who I am a large part each day are the things that I'm taking in the things that I most consistently allow in that I allow to speak into my life what we digest the most will have the greatest impact on what we desire and who we are what we digest the most will have the greatest impact on what we desire and who we are 
just like those who who were getting wrong what Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago when he was standing there in front of them, we too can also miss it. We too can be wrapped up in the, the talking heads, the memes, the chain letter information, the things your friends are talking about, whatever is, whatever is on, whatever you're listening to, the, the statements that you read, all the, all the things that are designed to kind of pigeonhole you and make you feel like, if you don't think this way, you should feel really bad. But also maybe, maybe some of the things that, that, that we're being influenced by, are, it's just kind of like when we were a kid. Maybe there's things that we know, it's like, man, I'm just being influenced by something that I know I shouldn't be influenced by. This is a bad influence. And although we, 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 we don't fully escape these things until we're in home in heaven, and even though not all of these things are, 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 are necessarily bad or, or good or maybe just neutral, but the point is, is that we've got to know that Jesus offers us hope for now that, that we can have our focus and our attention and our affection set on the right thing. He, we read in Scripture, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. And I don't think I made that one a slide, but I'll read it again. The Psalms tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Friends, we may admit that there are distractions in this world. Admit that our sinful, our sinful nature will never naturally just direct us to looking at Jesus. And I think it's important to be able to say that. To say that, hey, you know what, on my own, I'm not going to just get it right. But that also means that we can still experience joy of Jesus when we look to him and we obey him. A pastor named Art Azurdia puts it really in a cool way. He says, faith is not merely believing in God. It is believing God. Because God is our influencer. When we are believing God, not just saying, oh, yeah, I believe that. And I think we can all admit that we've met someone who's like, yeah, I believe that. And you're like, oh, okay. But, but, but no, when we're, when we're believing in that, when we're saying, I am looking to that, I am being influenced by that, when we're influenced by believing him, not just saying that he is real, but believing that what he said in his word and we're believing it every day is true, that's, that is faith. If we hope to experience, grow through, and be changed by our faith, we must be looking to the object of our faith, then, which is Jesus. That's believing God. If we hope to experience, grow through, and be changed by our faith, we must be looking to the object of our faith, which is Jesus. Because the object of our faith to be truly experienced must also be the object of our thoughts. It must also be the object of our heart and our desire. Right? If our thoughts and our heart and our desire is elsewhere, and we're like, oh, but the object of my faith is Jesus, they're not actually going to be connected. So today I want to share with you the change that can happen or, or the change that can continue in you. When we break the habit of staring elsewhere and begin to intently focus our eyes on Jesus and who we are. There's a couple things that we're going to experience. The first, when we are setting Jesus as our affection, we will experience authentic Christian discernment. And the reason that I say authentic Christian discernment is because authentic Christian discernment is not defined by, by Christians out there, and, right? But only by the Bible. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit, given through obedience to God's word. We can't experience authentic Christian discernment through the following of ideology or a social media group, school policies, or, or, or a political group, or, or a podcast, or, or even just things that, that people we know are telling us. True Christian discernment comes from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. And the Holy Spirit works through that through the word of God, even, even through me. I, I'm just another person here talking, and, and if it is not of the word of God, it is not going to bring good Christian discernment. 
And when we set our affections on Jesus, when we prioritize grabbing onto the truth of salvation and we see ourselves through that lens, when we see others through the lens of the truth of salvation, when we see the world through the lens that God came to save us for eternity, not just for today or this, de this year or this decade, but eternally, we'll see things differently. And we will respond to things differently. Because don't get me wrong, I, again, I'm not saying that all these other things are bad or that some of them even are a little bit bad. But just because something is mostly good or maybe even seemingly all good doesn't mean that it is a good replacement for Jesus when it comes to our affections. We need Jesus first. I'm not saying that, that you're never going to go and, and watch it the news or listen to a podcast ever again. That's not where I'm going today. But what I'm saying is we need Jesus first. If we're not doing Jesus first, we need the truth of the gospel first. Nothing on this earth can replace that. All other affections need to come from there. Because in all things, seemingly helpful or not, are ne they are in need of being seen through the lens of the cross. Whether this new discernment changes our opinion or, or keeps it exactly the same, but changes how you are about your opinion or, or, or how it teaches how we respond to our influences or changes how we present or manage our thoughts, how we treat others, how we measure the value of things. But if we're, if we're preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, it will change our discernment when we approach those things. And friends, I believe this is so important when we live in an age so full of condemnation so full of of canceling of of tricky black and white truths that are meant to make you feel really bad if you don't think my way guilt or 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 false conviction and or or just things that put pressure on your heart and you're just like oh man like should i really feel this tough about this and all of this is done well of course respecting the character limits of twitter postings so we don't want them to be too long but, but seriously, that's, that's where we're, that's why we need the gospel, because, uh, hey, I'm on Twitter. Some of the stuff that I've run from, I'm like, oh, that's really good, that's really helpful, and I can preach it. And some of it, I'm like, oh, what? And then I think gospel, I'm like, oh, man, yeah. We read in Galatians, and it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't see any of those things in condemnation or in canceling or, 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 or in a really hard truth that's designed to make you feel really bad about yourself or guilt or false conviction. Because here's the deal. Even if, even if it's a truth of like, hey, here's who Jesus is, Jesus isn't calling you by feeling shameful. He's not saying like, come over here. You feel real shameful now. Now you get over to this cross and feel bad. No, <laughs> like that's, that's not the case. If this is what comes out of believing, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, all those things up there, if that is what comes out of believing Jesus and by living by his ways, can we genuinely say that we've always discerned well? I think about the passage that we read earlier that, where Jesus overturns the tables in the temple. And I, I was going to tell you something embarrassing about myself. You just had to wait. I remember back in the day reading that passage and, and talking to friends about it. And, and, and my interpretation of it um, just kind of became like, you know, this is a free pass to be angry and maybe even aggressive as long as it's in the case of righteous anger. As long as my anger is righteous and I've got a righteous cause, oh, man, let's flip some tables. 
And, and I had friends. Yeah, I remember we would be talking. Oh, this happened. I was mad. And we'd be like, well, hey, man, was it, was it righteous anger? Was it righteous anger? Oh, yeah, that's a righteous reason. You're good. You're good. And we weren't even like, we weren't even saying like, well, fruit of the spirit, you know, did you try love and gentleness and those other ones first? Because here's the deal. When we, look at, when we look at Jesus, that's like the only time he does that. He does a lot of other stuff. So I, I think, you know, we probably shouldn't be like, Jesus did like books of things. And this one time he was real angry and flipped some tables and that's, that just justified. No, like I've, how fool! I was so foolish in thinking that, and that's not to say that 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 there there is no such thing as as anger that is righteous. But but man, I was not looking at that passage through the lens of the cross and the work of Christ's salvation. Even even scripture, we've got to make sure. Am I looking at scripture through salvation? That's 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 when scripture gets taken out of context. And I'm sort of gone off my notes here now, but but that's how scripture gets taken out of context. Is when people quote scripture and then and, and then they leave out the cross and they're not thinking of, and they're not discerning through who Jesus is and the work He's done. The cross tells a story about Jesus laying down His life, not picking up His sword. Jesus fights differently than I do, but until I stare at the cross. I'm going to use passages like that or I'm going to hear a podcast or something and I'm not going to discern it correctly until I look at Jesus who laid down his life. I remembered a number of times reading as I, as I got older and, and thinking about how I had used that passage to justify righteous anger. How I, had, how I had praised my friends for like, oh man, that was righteous. And, and I'm, I'm just heartbroken over that. And that's why I say we need authentic Christian discernment because we can get it wrong. Because true Christian discernment is rooted in Christ and rooted in who we are in Christ and rooted in Scripture as a whole and understanding. It's rooted in looking at others the same way that Jesus looks at them. Right? I mean, I mean, you, you want to know what Jesus almost always says when he's teaching us to pray or how to, like, his, like, regular go-to at the end every time? is, oh, by the way, forgive others. Forgive others. There's times where he even says, forgive others that you might be forgiven. We've got to look at people the same way that Jesus does. Not as a group, but as an individual, an individual that Jesus died for. And I think that'll probably change our, our discernment because then when we're looking at, at, at ideologies, at moral issues, at, at political conversations, at, at, at memes, which, which I'm saying memes because I get that memes are funny, but let's get real, memes are also really, really powerful. And when we're looking at all of those things, are we also remember that, hey, the person who this is making me think differently of or the same over feeling that they are someone that Jesus died for. And, and that's just one discernment that we can have in that. Another thing that we will experience when our affections are on Jesus, we will experience the character of Jesus. In Philippians, we're told to adopt the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. And we know that is possible because, because Paul also writes that, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we get the story of Jesus right, when we look to that every day of our lives, we will experience the change of who we are to become more like Christ. And if we look back at the fruit of the Spirit, if we look back to what Jesus is like, we will see how amazing and good this is. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guys, I cannot tell you how badly I want those things. 
how much I wish that I would experience that in my life. To be treated with kindness when I'm insecure. Gentleness when I'm hurt or maybe even when I'm wrong. Joy when I'm sad. The most embarrassing part about all this is how I subject myself to completely missing out on these. I want the fruit of the Spirit, but I, I can look at my life and be like, my gosh, how many times I just completely miss it. Does anyone know what doom scrolling is? Yeah. <laughs> so I'd be like, oh yeah. <laughs> For those that don't know what doom scrolling is, it's, it's when you go onto a news website or social media and you just kind of swipe, 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 or you read, 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 and you're, you, you just find yourself eventually just kind of looking at all of the bad things, all the horrible things that make you feel sad and terrible, and you just go deeper and deeper into unhelpful, overwhelming, negative news and social media posts. And, um, yeah, that's obviously not going to bring the fruit of the, the Spirit up for us. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, guys, I've, I've doom-scrolled before. And if you want to know how bad my doom-scrolling has gotten at times in my life, I've doom-scrolled on LinkedIn, which if you know what LinkedIn is, you're like, wait, you can do... I found a way, friends. I found a way. It's possible. But there's another type of, of, of emotional and spiritual trap that I'll, I fall into that I want to tell you about. Um, I call it, it doom-debating. And it's when I become excessively and maybe even obsessively invested in working out how I would perfectly debate or completely destroy someone of opposing opinion to my ideology or belief. I find myself think, thinking and sometimes even researching simply for the sake of knowing like if someone ever brings this up to me I am going to totally know and I'm just going to crush them. It's going to be great. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I am in no way against research. I am like, please, like, research things. Yes, you should know. And, and I'm also not saying that we should never debate things, especially well-thought-out debates. But, but what I'm saying is there are topics, there are situations that although I may, I might even be right in what I think, my heart isn't right. And when I'm out there pursuing, not, not because right is important, but because my heart is just rotten and wants to be right, Man, I, I am becoming committed to an unhealthy pursuit of pride and just defending myself. There is no fruit of the Spirit in that. That's just about me. It's not even about the conversation anymore. And when I stop thinking about this made-up person in my mind that I'm arguing with, or, or maybe, maybe in some cases it's a real person, you know, maybe you're even online and you're, you're having an argument online, so maybe it's a real person.